So many bits. I'm your host, Bill Nielsen, and joining me from my palatial one-bedroom apartment in Chicago is Di Beaver. Di, how are you? Oh my gosh, did I not tell you that I'm still using Diabilic for um, anything that isn't personal, like writing checks or having babies or something? And once again, joining me from my palatial <laughs> apartment in Chicago is Diabilic. Di, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, part of the reason I'm doing great is because I don't have to retroactively change any IMDBs or websites or news articles to uh, Die Beaver because that would be impossible. And that's why I'm staying Diabilic. But you can call me Die Beaver if you want, but it's Diabilic. Once again, joining me for <laughs> my palatial apartment in Chicago is Die Beaver. Die, how are you? Fantastic. Thank you ah, for asking. You're welcome. How are you? I'm good, thanks. <laughs> Later on in this episode, I'm going to be talking with Trevor. Uh, his team, 0% Juice, is working on the upcoming game, Worldline. It's currently going through Kickstarter. And uh, if you want to find out more about their project and how they're, they've been w- developing that, give a listen. But first, Di, you and I have to do some screen watching. Oh, God, we have to do it. I was outside watching some dear frolic. You don't even care about the outside, do you? So, uh, you know, uh, sometimes I pick, but I try to let the uh, guest pick what we will watch. Mm-hmm. And what did you pick for us, Di? I picked Phineas and Ferb. There's 104 days of summer vacation, and school comes along just to end it. So the annual problem for our generation is finding a good way to spend it. Like maybe. And the episode was called... Gaming the system. Thanks. <laughs> Having never watched Phineas and Ferb, I was pretty excited. You'd never watched it before? Why'd you pick it? Uh, just been writing some uh, animated uh, stuff lately. So uh, I just, you know, when you get the meetings with the big production houses and you're like, I need to do some research on this. That's just one I've never seen. It was a little confusing with the platypus, but I caught on, I think. Don't know what the platypus does but uh i guess he sets up the b plot so that the ending works out just fine i i guess so yeah so phineas and ferb is this uh kid show that's been airing on disney for a long time now and these two brothers phineas and ferb just two brothers and they're uh one of them has an english accent yes i i think they are not if i was reading this right they are uh a, a mingled family oh so Plus, maybe some are adopted. That was my understanding from my very quick look at the explanation for what Phineas and Ferb is. Okay. Yeah, and, and the platypus is their pet, but then, like, it has uh, adventures as a secret agent. It's anthropomorphic when there are no people around, unless there are villains? I guess so, yeah. Like, it, it's uh, n- no one in the family knows what Perry does. I like him. He's, he's cool. He's good. He's, he's cool. all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, they uh, in this episode, gaming the system. This is, uh, originally aired April eleventh, two thousand and nine. Going back in time, and uh, they, they start out. They're just hanging out in their neighborhood, and they're playing a video game. They are. And I gotta say, right off the bat, the sounds they got for this fake video game are so 
good. I like them a lot. There was only one that I recognized, and it was the Nintendo coin sound. Uh, there was they did it one time, one Nintendo coin sound. They did, but the other sounds they picked for like the jumping, yep. and the and the background music, like they sounded right. Yes, for I agree. The Nintendo or like an old arcade machine. I loved it. I loved it. The bully was playing a video game, which was good. Uh, instead of making a nerd play a video game, I felt less pandered to. Uh, the the. the and like everyone in the situation was interested and then they decided to put themselves in the game and of course with their meddling the sister that didn't want to be involved got sucked into the game yeah like <laughs> it felt like there was some kind of subversion happening in the standard formula because the sister shows up and is like you two better not be getting up to any mischief and they're like no we're playing a video game she's like oh okay and then she leaves uh, i liked how she, how they made her uh, very good at the video game because she gets sucked in and uh, I expected uh, her to be saved by Phineas and Ferb and it didn't happen. They actually followed her because she decided to kill everything with her blow dryer. Yeah, yeah. She's getting ready for the uh, summer cotillion, which is like a gag they keep hammering on. Why like, did they have that? I didn't understand the gag because they called it a cotillion when I went to school, but I did go to private school. I think because it's for <laughs> like, kids and like a cotillion is a word they wouldn't know. Okay. So it's funny that it's a, like a weird word for dance. There was interesting exposition throughout and I yeah. liked how it was self-aware when it was talking about cramming the exposition in. <laughs> uh, that was fun. Uh, anyway, they get through it and then, I mean, the sister like saves the day, basically. They're just like following her. Yeah, like they build a machine that lets you get digitized into a video game and like their plan is to play the game but then the sister is standing there and like of course she gets zapped instead and she dominates the game she does it made sense it made sense and then the final boss is pulled out and then who is like a rendering of the bully (laughs) i love at the beginning of the episode i can make your face this (laughs) just press this and this and then press this in this and it goes on it's a bit it's a, long it, it, bit. It's a good bit though like it, it's like yeah I, I can imagine myself telling someone this is really cool watch this <laughs> and then like spending three minutes like trying to set up the thing yes yes very good um <sighs> i also like during while the sister is playing the game there's a song going on and uh, it's like oh they added the song okay that's neat but then you see like it's the kids playing the song outside of the game it's like that's that's funny it that's- was cute and it was like you could tell that the people making the episode have a lot of fun writing these episodes and writing music for them. It was uh, it was very interesting to see, like, the self-awareness of adults in a kid's show. And I'm not a fan of Disney. I think you know this. I didn't know it was a Disney Channel show. It's got a little bit of that, like, kid's vibe because the one character, Phineas, is always, like, explaining what's happening on right. the screen. Right. He's like, oh... I guess my sister is doing well at the game and we can just follow what she's been doing. (laughs) So like just in case a five-year-old is watching, then they're set. They're all set. Yeah. How did the, how did the, uh, how did the end happen? How did they defeat the final boss that got pulled into the actual world? I don't quite remember. So like when they, uh, the boss, the bully, the bully boss, gets uh, pulled out of the game and into real life and then is chasing them around. And when they're finally cornered, another character who, who hadn't really shown up in the episode shows up with like a, 
a laser and like lasers the boss and like puts it back into the game somehow. Yeah. Uh, with no with no explanation whatsoever yeah they're just she's like that's why i didn't remember she's like take this and then she shoots the boss and the boss goes away and they're like wow how'd you do that Mm -hmm. and she gives an explanation that doesn't really illuminate what actually happened yep good old animation (laughs) but uh and this is leading to my favorite part of the episode that like this has been distracting the older sister who needs to like get ready for her big date at the cotillion and then like the date is there and she's like Throughout the whole episode, she's only been wearing a towel. And she's like, I need to get dressed. And out of the sky from the B-plot, mm-hmm. a bunch of dresses fall, but mm-hmm. only on Phineas and Ferb. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, clearly you just have to do whatever we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Great stuff. Yes. I quite enjoyed it for it being a very, very young children's show. <laughs> Yeah, I I was surprised. Like I could I can see why the show is very successful and it's got like children's books and stuff everywhere. It's fast paced and like the kids are fun, the platypus stuff was fun. Like the mm-hmm. platypus is like stopping some evil mad scientist who has a thing for like he wants to have everyone wear dresses because he wants to wear dresses, which is not wrong, but like forcing people to do that is wrong. I thought that he doesn't want to wear dresses. I thought that he said the reason why he wants everyone to wear dresses is because it's, it impedes you from fighting properly because when he was, what country did he grow up in? And he was a young boy. Uh, it was a fictional country of, it was uh, a fictional country of Slovenia or something. Lots of continents. <laughs> the, his, his mother and father thought he was having, they were having a girl. So she made him a bunch of dresses. So he was forced to wear dresses uh, growing up. That's, and he was not as manly, and he said that he wanted people made fun of him, and he wanted to be the manliest man because everyone else was wearing a dress. So once again, it just boils down to toxic masculinity. It does, yes. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Did you miss that part? I may have been half paying attention to that part. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, they showed him as a young boy, which made no sense because he was like a teenager at that point wearing dresses, and everyone else like, why would your mother knit you a dress? For when you were 12 years old. Anyway, he said he wanted to be the manliest man. And he caught uh, the platypus in a dress, and he said that it, it impeded fighting. I see. Yeah. Okay. It was toxic masculinity. Yeah. It was fine. They lo- everyone looked good in a dress. Yeah, they did. They did. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, this episode is only 11 minutes long. There's mm-hmm. not a ton to cover. It was, uh, yeah. I think we should uh, go ahead and rate it. Let's rate right? it. All right, so uh, as always, we're going to rate on three categories here. Uh, They are accuracy, condescension, and entertainment. And just like with any video game, they'll be rated on a scale of 6 to 10. So let's start with accuracy. So we've got, uh, if you think this was completely inaccurate to video games, give it a 6. If you found it to be extremely lifelike accurate, give it a 10. I'm going to go with a 9 for... uh reasons uh already talked about as far as in the beginning of the episode like putting your face onto the video game player it just reminded me of in super smash brothers how you can make your me fight and uh in super mario uh new super mario brothers uh two or whatever it is for the switch uh you can also play as your me you don't have to really make that many steps but you still have to make a me anyway it was to also like the platforming and 
all that stuff. And like you said, the sound effects. So yeah, nine. I'm going to go with nine. Okay. I, I got to go with a, uh, I got to go with a seven. Mm. It's just, uh, I mean, I, I found the sounds they used were awesome. And like the rudimentary explanation of the game where it's, it's just called jump and duck. And it's just like, you just do two things, jump and duck <laughs> was uh, top notch, but you can't digitize people into a video game and then they play the video game. We're not there yet. This isn't Tron. But I mean, you can, it's true, but I mean, I was talking about the accuracy of like their gameplay, not the plot. Ah, okay. Well, the difference between us is I'm a pedant. <laughs> Remember when she, uh, when the sister couldn't, she was having a hard time at first and then she was oh, falling down the stairs yeah, and jump, she kept losing, jump. she kept losing health and landing on her head and then just like going down like a slinky ish, a uh, stiff slinky. That is, that is why, I, where I came up with my nine. That was so funny okay. and seemed accurate. And annoying for a platformer. And like, you know, sometimes it just, yeah. How about I go with an eight? Then? Uh, we'll mean, go with I'm an not, eight. I'm not disparaging your rating. Well, I, I feel attacked. Like, <laughs> personally, I feel attacked. So I'll go with an eight, though. I, I think you're right. I think there is a lot of good humor and knowledge of the medium. And then uh, condescension. So if you found this to be completely not condescending, give it a six. If you found it to be extremely condescending, Give it a 10. I'd give it a 6 because there weren't any... I mean, they had the bully playing the video game and having the video game in the first place, which is like a lot of times in in trope tropey situations, you have like the smart kids or the nerdy kids playing the video game. And I mean, the bully gave the exp- explanation at the very beginning and that was nice. So there was no condescension there. And then the sister who, you know, again, in another trope, would end up, you know, like needing help. She was the one who uh, did a great job during the game. So I'm gonna just, I'm just gonna have to say uh, six. Yeah, I, I mean, I usually like to disagree with, you know, the scores, but I gotta give it a six. Like, <laughs> it's considered a normal thing. Everyone is just into it. Even the sister is like, oh, that's a normal thing. Right. Not, it's a weird thing. Right. So yeah, I mean. Straight up six. Mm-hmm. So lastly, Die, uh, we got to score this on entertainment. If you found it completely unentertaining, give it a six. If you found it extremely entertaining, give it a ten. I'm going to go with an eight. Uh, I liked how short the episode was. It was super entertaining. It held my interest. I hated the song, and I also loved the song at the same time. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I, I found myself being mad at the end where it's like oh okay some no explanation whatsoever resolution to the end of the storyline of the a plot but like also it's a (laughs) i told myself as i was sitting there annoyed i'm like this is a show for kids die (laughs) yeah it's fine give it an eight yeah i'm gonna go with a nine i thought it was light and breezy and fun Mm -hmm. and like if i was a parent having to watch something with their child, I think I could watch more of this and be like, okay, this is fine. I can enjoy this. That's a fun way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Watch it for kids. I'm making air quotes right now. Yeah. (laughs) I'm making air quotes right now too. We can tell by your voice. 
that's going to be the end of our screen watching segment and we're going to take a break and when we come back i'll be talking with trevor over at zero percent juice And we are back from break. Joining me on this palatial VoIP line is Trevor, the lead developer over at 0% Juice. Uh, their current project is WorldMine, and that is going through Kickstarter right now and will be later coming out on PC. So Trevor, thank you so much for your time. And thank you for having me on. First of all, it might be good just for people who are unfamiliar with WorldMine if you gave a one to two minute introduction of what the game is. Right, so uh, Worldline's a, a 2D action slash puzzle platformer, um, and it revolves around manipulating time, similar to the controls on a VHS remote. So there's uh, six different abilities, pause, slow, rewind, fast forward, record, and reset, all things that you would find on a, a VHS remote. And uh, other than that, we've also been working really hard on a built-in corruption engine. I'm not sure if you're familiar with like game corruptions at all. I know a little bit about it, like, and I know like Axiom Verge kind of played around with that a bit about like glitching the game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we get a lot of, you know, people bring Axiom Verge up a lot when I mention that, uh, and that was one of our inspirations. Our, our other inspiration was a a, a, a stream uh, Vine Sauce, who uh, does the, you know, these things where he corrupts the uh, game he's playing in real time. So our goal was to get up uh, this engine where it would sort of uh, glitch and corrupt the game uh, dynamically as you played it. So that's one of our other, you know, big things is that uh, players will hopefully have, you know, pretty unique experiences as they fight uh, enemies in the game. When I was playing the demo, I saw there were uh, these different enemies I was fighting against, and there was kind of like an explanation for who they are and where they come from. And it seems to me like there is a deeper lore to the story that will kind of unravel as things progress. Do you have like a maybe a story Bible set up or like, you know, where things are going to go and conclude already. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, way too much. Actually. Uh, we have another writer on the team and, uh, sort of have worked on the story together. Uh, you know, since we were just starting development, it's a little tentative, but we basically have everything planned out from start to finish. Uh, we have a giant lore document that's like way too big spanning, you know, tons and tons of pages. <laughs> Do you have a particular favorite that, like, hopefully it's something we've already seen so we could talk about it, but is there, like, a favorite character of yours so far? Yeah, probably, uh, you know, the character we have seen in the demo is uh, Greg. Uh, he guides you through the training simulation, and I think that's why I included him in the demo. Um, the demo is actually going to be quite different from the final game. The final game is actually going to start completely separate from the demo, so the demo is, you know, a completely separate event. And uh, I think I picked Greg because, uh, you know, he just seemed the most likable and, and the character that people would want to see, uh, you know, when I was showing off the demo. I really appreciated in the demo that it takes the time to introduce the different movement mechanics and the different combat mechanics because, you know, I would say there are quite a few there to kind of grok. And uh, when you were coming up with different mechanics to emulate a VCR remote, uh, did you have any that came easily some that came maybe that required a little more time to think through definitely some of them were very easy like the first one pause which uh for anybody that hasn't played the game uh pauses everything but you so it pauses all the you know 
time except for your time um, was really easy because you know it just freezes time so the mechanic behind that is you use it and everything stops and then you deactivate it and everything starts going again um, harder mechanics uh, to grapple with were in particular the last one which is reset we weren't really sure what we were going to do with that one it went through a lot of changes uh, while we worked on the demo uh, as it works right now, it's pretty simple. Um, you use it and it starts to rewind you, so uh, the player. And you can use it after you die to bring yourself back to life, which we thought was pretty cool. Um, originally, we tried out all sorts of weird things that are completely different. Uh, one idea that I kind of liked but failed horribly with playtesters was um, a, a mobile... Uh, save point. So when you activated reset, what it would do is actually create a save point where you're standing and then automatically save the game. So when you died, you'd respawn there. Uh, this didn't work out so well because people never knew when to use it. They uh, didn't want to use it too shortly after they just saved the game because it'd be a waste. And they didn't want to use it too uh, close to another save point that they might find later. So people just never used it and uh, we, we, we had to change it. <laughs> With each of the different uh, movement options, there's a different musical effect that is applied to the, the background music. Did you, when you were working with the composer on that, did you have to kind of like describe what you were hoping for or did they have like some input on how that would work? Um, that actually just kind of came naturally. Uh, so we really just needed audio cues for the different movement effects uh so players would you know start to know when they could like use them again and stuff like that so uh basically we were just like yeah we, we need a sound for this so people can know when they can you know use it or or, or when it's available again and uh it, it really wasn't that much of a process actually well that, that's good then i mean just the the music did stand out to me. I, I really enjoyed the different uh, layering of the effects and just the general uh, soundtrack that was there. Uh, one thing I liked is that there is a layering of maybe, uh, I'm guessing, synthesized instruments on top of retro-ish chiptunes. Uh, was that mm -hmm. all the uh, composer's idea? Can you tell me a little bit about the composer? Yeah, uh, so the composer, uh, I, I always call him a Nanashima. That's his name on YouTube. You'll You'll see his channel if you search it. Um, he, uh, he does a lot of, like, uh, you know, remixes and stuff of, of video games, uh, video game soundtracks, and I think about a, a year ago, I reached out to him. I had been subscribed to him for a really long time, and I was just like, you know, I, I, I really like this guy's stuff. I'm going to reach out to him, see if he wants to work on the game, and he did, and, um, yeah, he's been really great to work with. He works super fast, and, uh, I really like everything he's done, and in terms of, uh, you know, how much uh, creative control he has, pretty much it's basically just uh, I'll say like, here's the setting. Uh, I might give him like an example or two, but other than that, he just kind of does his own thing. Now might be a good time actually to talk about the uh, whole 0% Juice team because there are a lot of people that are involved in this project. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about the other teammates? Besides myself, right now I'm the only programmer. Uh, there's also Bravely. Oh, and by the way, if anybody you know wants to look anyone up, it's on our contact page on our website. But uh, Bravely's our, our main pixel artist. 
Uh, oh, and <laughs> I also should preface this. We pretty much all call each other by each other's screen names. So I, I hope that doesn't sound weird to anybody. So we're, we're talking to you right now as Trevor, but if you were to talk with the other team members, you would go by an online handle with them? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, ex excluding uh, one person on the team, we, we all pretty much go by our, our online handles. Oh, besides one other person, um, everyone on the team is someone I met online. Uh, was there a particular forum you met through or like a game or, or how did that come about? It's been a while because we have been working on this demo for a little over a year actually. So um, it's been a while since I met everyone. Uh, I think I met Bravely on a, our, our lead pixel artist on a website called um, like Pixel Joint or something like that or like The Pixel Joint. Uh, I, I apologize for not having the specifics. Um, I think that's also how I met uh, Marcus, our other uh, pixel artist. Um, Nanashima I met on YouTube. As for everyone else, I can't remember. Uh, we also tried um, IndieDB for or looking for people, um, but I'm not exactly sure where everyone came from. During the time when I was searching for for people to help with the game, I was just kind of putting up lots of posts on like different forums. So I was getting like lots of emails. So I, I, I'm honestly, you know, I, I probably should have asked them and maybe I did at the time, but yeah, I don't really remember where exactly everyone came from or exactly how we met. They just, you know, sort of emailed me one day. No, that, that's all right. I, I'm just impressed that this uh, coalesced exclusively uh, through just online communication. Like there was just no prior uh, like in-person relationship between anyone on the team. Yeah. Um, well, besides me and the other writer, I looked around, uh, tried to do some networking, like you know IRL or, or, or whatever, uh, for um, you know like artists or composers. Uh, but I wasn't having too much luck, so I was like, you know, I'm just gonna get on like some forums and say like, hey, I have this game engine. You know, if you want to be part of this, then just send me an email. We we. Uh... Did get? Oh, I did sidetrack you there a little bit. Did, did we cover everyone on the team? I'll uh, I'll cover. Sorry, I'll uh, I'll cover everyone again. Um, so yeah, Bravely's our main pixel artist, uh, and he's done most of the work, especially for uh, what you see in the demo. I don't know the exact percentage, but a lot of it is his. Um, and then we also have uh, Marcus, who is our other pixel artist. We um, brought him on after um, we were going really, really slowly uh, with our progress on the demo. Uh, we kind of realized that we needed an extra hand. And then, of course, I've already talked about uh, Nanashima. He's doing all the music as well as the sound effects, um, and he's been really great to work with. But there's also um, Christopher. Uh, he does pixel art. He does a lot of like edits and animations and stuff. Um, <laughs> he actually reached out to me uh, because he needed some help with um, his uh, graduation, actually. He had to get uh, like a certain amount of hours uh, in the field doing actual work. Uh, so that, that's why he reached out to us. And, and we basically had him doing like, uh, you know, taking um, things that had already been done and just animating them or, uh, or making, you know, quick edits to sprites and stuff like that. Then there's also, let me think, Eddie, uh, he is our graphics designer guy. He did the website, a lot of the stuff you see on the Kickstarter page, 
and he also did the 0% Juice logo, the World Line logo, and the trailer, which I personally uh, love the Kickstarter trailer. I think it's great. So it was really nice to have him around. And then, uh, let's see, lastly, there is uh, Spiffy, um, who is the other writer on the team. I did want to ask you uh, a couple questions about the, the Kickstarter, because the Kickstarter is ongoing. I was wondering because part of you know the current news cycle is that there has been uh, anti-union sentiment within Kickstarter that has kind of leaked out, and it's maybe frustrated users of Kickstarter that there is not a recognition of the union within the company. And it's from the outside, I'm worried for people who are trying to run campaigns that there's been a chilling effect. I was wondering if you had spoken with anyone who has backed the campaign or has been associated with a campaign who's been like, well, there's this other stuff going on. Has anything come up with that? I, I actually think I remember reading about that um, prior to us launching, but I'm not going to lie. I actually don't know much about it at all. And um, none of the backers have mentioned anything so far. So that's pretty interesting. But no, I, I, I really don't know much on that end. With the campaign, uh, currently it's still in progress. In the events you were you were not to reach the fundraising goal, uh, part of the campaign notes explain like what the money is going to and where it will be used. How would you proceed from there if if the goal is not met? So we've actually thought about this a lot because it's been it's been pretty tough trying to get uh, to our goal. Um, and I'm going to be totally honest. Right now, we are not really sure um we are bouncing between you know maybe just trying again later trying to build more hype uh maybe working on the final game for a bit and being very involved with the community and uh trying to build excitement that way by like working on the actual final product um and also just you know moving on working on something else and and you know going at it again i've seen other quality campaigns that have unfortunately not met their goal. And it's just, sometimes it's unclear to me, like why some succeed and one don't. It feels like there's a lot of competition out there right now. There's definitely a ton of competition. Um, and I, I knew that, you know, going in and, and starting the campaign, uh, but just, you know, being on Kickstarter, cause it's like, you know, ever since we launched, I've, I've pretty much been on there every day to like, you know, check and see how the project's doing. Uh, I, I've, you know, already been introduced to like tons of other, you know, excellent games. Uh, but at the same time, it's been a, a really good, uh, learning experience. Um, just, you know, knowing what gets people involved, you know, what I should be doing, what I shouldn't be doing, what people don't really care about, what they do care about, stuff like that. Well, I, I do hope things turn around at, at the uh, final leg of the campaign, or there's another path forward, if not. I do want to ask some other questions. I was wondering, because the mechanic of the VCR remote, I think, is pretty neat. If there were a life event where you could have the VCR remote uh, from your past, what would that event be? And what would you use the remote for? Yeah, uh, well, that's interesting. Um, I would definitely, if I had to use fast, if I had to fast forward to something, it'd probably be all of high school. (laughs) If I'm being honest, just get that out of the way. Uh, If I had to, you know, maybe like (laughs) 
Yeah. Uh, if I had to maybe like uh, rewind or reset, try something again, um, it might be actually the the game. I think the 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 demo is is really nice, and I think we did a, a good job. Um, I think that marketing it prior to launch was something that I struggled with. Um, and since I've like learned so much just you know in the past few days after launching, um, I'm kind of like at this point where I'm like, wow, I wish I could go back and like do this and this and this and this because uh, I, I feel like I've just l learned so much that it could really help me out. Awesome. Okay. And then uh, lastly, this is a question I ask all the guests because I think there is this shared communal knowledge of the Pokemon franchise. Uh, if there were one Pokemon you could have as a pet, one Pokemon you could be, and one Pokemon you could eat, what would they be? Oh, oh Lord. Um, hmm. As a pet, I would pick uh, probably like Slowbro, because I, I, Slowbro is my favorite Pokemon, and... Uh, all my pets in real life are, are typically very, like, chill, and I've always been, you know, drawn to animals that aren't, uh, you know, super hyper. I, I normally get, like, you know, uh, like, older older dogs or older cats because they aren't going to be, you know, running around the house destroying everything. So I feel like Slowbro would just be, you know, uh, the perfect example of that. <laughs> uh, so the other one was a Pokemon I could be. Uh, who I don't know. I mean, like, I've, I've never really thought about that. I, I think maybe it'd be kind of stupid, but maybe I just pick, like, you know, Mewtwo or something. Just some absurdly powerful Pokemon. That way I can have that power, too. You know, why not? <laughs> um, I might change my mind if I thought about it more, but that, that'll have to be my answer for now. And uh, a Pokemon I could eat. Now, I do want to pause um, and just mention here that uh, for any ethical considerations you may have, you could uh, instead choose to uh, have a byproduct of a Pokemon, like, a, okay, for example, the sure. milk of a mill tank or uh, like a leaf from a Bulbasaur that's like been shed. Gotcha. Um, well, that's definitely better than what I was going to say, because I was going to say, um, I think I remember in the, the Pokemon anime, I remember them talking about eating Magikarp. <laughs> and I really like fish. So it's like the first thing that came to mind was like, hmm, I wonder what Magikarp tastes like. Of course, I like the uh, the, the the answer you gave. Um, I, I Isn't in the games, like, it's called, like, Moo Moo Milk or something, or like Mil Tank, Mil Tank Milk or something like that in the games as an item. And I think I remember playing through the games and being like, huh, that, that sounds kind of good. <laughs> <laughs> I Now I can't help but think about uh, Lom Lom Milk from like uh, Ocarina of Time. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wide, wide variety of milks out there to try in different uh, games. But awesome, yeah. Uh, so the milk of a Mil Tank, we'll say. All right. Well, Trevor, thank you so much for your time. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, if you want people to keep getting updates on Worldline, or if you want people to just uh, stay in touch with you directly, how can they do that? I would say any of our, the, the channels we usually use for updates and stuff are going to be um, like Twitter or our newsletter that you can find on our website um, or following us on uh, itch.io. Uh, and all the links to that are on our website, worldline-game.com. Um, also, you can follow me on Twitter at Tizemi, or um, 
you can join our Discord. Uh, that's also a good way to, you know, n not only stay up to date, but also get in touch with me directly if you needed that. Awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. It's been great. Once again, big thanks to Trevor. Uh, his team's game, Worldline, is currently just wrapping up their fundraising campaign on Kickstarter. So if you liked what you heard, go ahead and head over there and pledge some dollars. They would greatly appreciate it. Uh, I mean, that's like, we kind of got into it in the interview die, but like, it's the truth with some of these projects. Like, if they don't hit their fundraising, they can't justify proceeding with making the game. That, right. That's the thing that happens. Yikes. I can't imagine spending that much time on art direction and just like everything that goes into a video game, which I have no idea, even though I kind of have some idea. I mean, it's so, it's so much of yourself and then you have crews and you know, yeah, I can't imagine. Yes. Donate money. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I think at this point there is something just, uh, we have to handle before we bring this episode to a close. It's a tiny thing. It's a, just a small, uh, you know, blip of time. It's a, it's a minute, if you will. It's a, it's a Bill's Magic Minute. Bill's Magic Minute. <laughs> See, that's a, you know, you did, you did really well making the little stinger, but, because we are, Di made the stinger for when I say the words Bill's Magic Minute, but the thing you said is way better <laughs> as the stinger. So maybe we'll just use that going forward. All right. You know what? Also, it might be time to make new ones. We don't oh. know. What a, a polka version? We don't know. We don't know. I am a, a lifelong fan of Weird Al, so I am not opposed to poking. <laughs> Listen, I have to stay fresh in the in the wintertime. I need these projects, and I have a couple new shows coming up. So I like to, uh, that's when I made your last ones. I like that I grease the wheels with some little projects that last like a minute. I make another one. All right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm ready. All right. For first-time listeners, I really like Magic the Gathering, but I don't want it to seep out into the rest of the podcast. So yes, you do. I do, but I feel <laughs> like I am obligated not to allow that to happen. So I limit myself to anywhere between 1 and 60 seconds to make the determination of how long I can go. I roll a uh, d20. Here we go. Oh, we have a real d20 here. We do. Sometimes you use the d20 app on your phone. That's true, but I have the real one with me right now. So Fantastic. Are we going to be able to hear it? Yes. Six. Five. Five. So I have 16 seconds. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to be talking about Throne of Eldraine. A limited die. So you it's gonna, So you're gonna just say the title, and then we're gonna. Okay, I'm gonna make the. You know what I do. I'm gonna make the thing. This the annoying sound. Ready? Ready. And go. The format so far for Throne of Eldraine Limited has been really slow, like really, really slow. And the fact that there is a viable mill deck to the format kind of makes it where I, I'm not enjoying the games as much as I could. Okay. <laughs> well, he hates it 
I mean, I think more context and nuance could be used there to further explain my thoughts, <laughs> but I'm not going to take it. We have to go by the rules. That's the rules. Otherwise, it's just chaos and anarchy. Exactly. I mean, Thank you for understanding me, Di. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think that brings this episode of So Many Bits to a close. Uh, Di, if you want people to find you anywhere, either in person or online, where can they find you? Uh, stay away from my house, but go to diebillick.com. That's my stage name. It's diebillick.com. I'm just going to echo that statement. Stay away from Di's house. <laughs> and uh, if you want to reach me, uh, maybe we could talk about you visiting my house. But before that, email me at so many bits podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, we're So Many Bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at So Many Bits. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review or download from Simplecast, from SoundCloud, from YouTube, or stream via Spotify. We play games, twitch.tv slash so many bits, Wednesday and Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Central Time. Wednesdays for Magic the Gathering Online and MTG Arena. Thursdays for a variety of different games. Recently, I've played Doki Doki Literature Club, Hellblade Senwa Sacrifice, the Sega Genesis Mini, Control. So a ton of different stuff. And we're also on uh, nerdalogs.com. So um, I'm on there with a bunch of other uh, great nerdy podcasts. So give mine a listen. Give theirs a listen. And last but not least, thank you very much. Have a great summer. Summer.